I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on daily life, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Have you ever come back to your house after you've been out for a while, and you look in the mirror and you catch something unexpected? Uh, for me, sometimes I go out and right before I go out the door, my wife's like, you know, you, you ought to take a look at your, your hair before you, before you go out because it's a little wild at the moment. So, oh, oh, thanks. Because I can just imagine me coming back after, you know, meeting with with people and they're just kind of staring at me in, in some odd fashion with a quizzical look on their face. And I just think that that's because I'm a quizzical person. And then I get home and I look in the mirror and it's, oh, oh, man, how did I? How did that happen? How did I get out looking like this, right? Uh, perhaps uh, you you look down and you catch the toilet paper on the shoe or you, you find something that, oh my goodness, how long have I been like this? It's a little bit embarrassing and maybe a little bit humbling. And I think that in times like these, it's very, very easy to miss something. You know, I get so busy in the mornings with uh, the things I have to do that I might miss one of those things that I have to do, which is look in the mirror and make sure that, you know, my my hair is properly combed. Um, because, you know, with seven kids, it's easy to uh, getting them ready and out the door. It's easy to overlook yourself. Well, the same is true in times of crisis. When we are, as we are experiencing in the church right now, Uh, when we're facing such massive, huge, big things that are going on in the press and, and playing out in front of the whole world to see, it's so easy to get caught up in that chaos and to look at everyone else and determine what needs to be done, uh, in the externals for, uh, for health to come back into the church, that we miss the mirror of our soul. We don't look at ourselves and see what may be lacking in us because in comparison to what's playing out in the bigger scheme of the world, it seems like a small thing. Uh, And so maybe we miss uh, our examination of conscience and we miss a time that we should really be going to confession, but we, you know, we were focused on other things. We're, uh, we're distracted. We don't see that bit of toilet paper on our spiritual shoe. We don't see the uh, the messiness of our spiritual hair. We're not looking in the mirror for ourselves because there's so much distracting, flashy things going on around us. So we follow the commentaries of uh, the the pundits on how this should be handled, and uh, we post and and enjoy and appreciate those whose perspective we agree with and we uh, bristle and defend against those whose positions uh, we disagree with when ultimately times like this are a prime opportunity for you and I to up our spiritual game, to get a little bit closer to sanctity, to living out a life of holiness. Times like these make saints. St. Benedict created his rule at a time of, uh, of great ease where everyone was seeking 
uh, pleasure and seeking the easiest way possible to live their lives. And he said, you know what? No, discipline is necessary. Prayer and work in balance and in, in quiet is necessary. And he went out and created the rule of St. Benedict. And of course, he is a saint. St. Francis heard the words of Jesus, uh, Francis, rise and rebuild my church. See, it's fallen into ruin. And of course, he started out thinking it was talking about the chapel that he was in the midst of that was literally falling to ruin. But we know on this side of history that God was calling him to a renewal of the spirit within the church. Times like these make saints. If only we will look in that spiritual mirror. Now, what is that spiritual mirror? Well, it's scripture. It is spending time in prayer and listening for the voice of God in the midst of that prayer. It is spending time in adoration. It's doing an examination of conscience and waiting on the Lord to see what he will ask of us. This can be frightening because it's much easier to try and fix everyone else and to point out the shortcomings of others, specifically when they are so pronounced in the media as they are these days. But so too, we have our pronounced shortcomings. And yes, the things that are in the news are worthy of attention. And we don't want to ignore them. And we, we want to uh, have accountability for those who are in leadership. But if we are not personally in a position to be able to do that, we need to focus on ourselves. You notice that St. Francis started right where he was, and eventually he was given the influence to, to make changes to the, the whole spiritual life of the church. Same with St. Benedict. He didn't seek it out. He didn't come with an angry uh, uh, letter and say, this is how it ought to be. He went out and he focused on living out that life of holiness, that call, that universal call to holiness. And in doing so, the whole church was renewed. This is what you and I need to do. This is how we change the world. This is how we change the culture of the church, by changing our own lives. It's so easy to just go along with the flow and to only sacrifice as much as is required. But when we say, take all of me, Lord God, what all of these little things that I've been holding on to, they are unimportant. I want you in your fullness. When we do that and we begin to pursue that holiness and that life uh, that is dedicated to God, that our lives change and the lives around us change and the culture that so desperately, even within the church, needs to be renewed, that culture is renewed through our obedience to that universal call to holiness. We're going to be talking today with Sister Anne Flanagan of the Daughters of St. Paul. We're going to talk a little bit about how to make a holy hour. Let's take some practical steps and pursue that holiness together. There's much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
And we're talking today about being with Christ in a, in a very tangible way, uh, being uh, in his presence in the Eucharist uh, through adoration, sitting in, whether you're sitting in front of the tabernacle, whether there is uh, exposition of the Blessed Sacrament and you're able to be there. And today, we're, to discuss that, we're talking with Sister Anne Flanagan, who is a daughter of St. Paul, uh, out in, uh, in Boston. Uh, Sister, thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. So, Sister, you, you within the Daughters of St. Paul, you work in the social media and digital department, and people may not be aware, but there are media nuns out there. Some of you may not be on Twitter, but there's a whole subculture of, of Twitter sisters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, we're busy. And, and not, not only are you one, but you kind of foster that in your new, uh, your new vocations and your aspirants and, and novices and so forth. Well, I'm, I actually joined Twitter when it was still in beta. So, uh, that, so I, I got my, my handle is nun blogger because yeah. I had a blog, you know. Um, but what I kind of do for my community in an informal way, and now it's a little bit more formalized as my work in, in the digital department here for the daughters, is I, I check things out. It's like if a new a new form of technology comes up, and I go in and I and I see oh, how does this work? You know, what can we do with it? And so I'm I I claim with great and humble pride that it was I who convinced Sister Helena Burns to get on Twitter. You know, it's like you must be on Twitter. This is how it works. This is you know these are the basic parameters. These are my mistakes, so don't make them. You know, make your own. And uh, you know. <laughs> And it's like the John the Baptist thing, you know, the one coming after me is greater than I. Um, so that, that's what I do. I, I'm the, the kind of the bushwhacker. I go into, the, into new terrain and see, you know, how, how could this possibly uh, coalesce with our mission of sharing the gospel through communications media? Is it a good match for the Daughters of St. Paul? Yeah, now, let's some talk, things that... Let's talk about that charism because you've got uh, blessed... Uh, Albrioni, James, James Albrioni, and yeah, I and he he was all about spreading the gospel through new media, and of course at the right. time, the time it was years ago, right? Time it was books and radio, and and you have expanded it to to the edges, to the bleeding he edge told, of technology. He told us to. He said, like in 1940, he said, currently. You know, uh, at the heart of the apostle couldn't dream of anything better than the press, radio, motion pictures to share the word of God with as large a number of people as possible. But it could be that the future will bring other better means. And if it does, you will adopt them. That was our founder. So we're just doing what he told us to. And of course, with social media, there is a certain speed that you couldn't ever dream of in the press. And yeah, that's a challenge. When the when the the, the crisis came out uh, several weeks ago, one of the first responses I saw was the Daughters of Saint Paul, and you put together uh, a booklet on uh, basically a guide for a holy hour in reparation, and and it was lightning fast. Um, we put it in our uh, in our chapel uh, in front of the Blessed Sacrament. We put out multiple copies. Oh, wonderful! Uh, so that people who didn't know how to pray, and I, you know, I find that is often the case. We want to go to adoration. We want to sit with Jesus, but our mind doesn't calm down, and we don't know how to approach a holy hour, and specifically in a time when when there's so much tumult in the church. And that was that 
that guide that you gave was just such a treasure and a gem to be able to sit down in the midst of all the conflicting thoughts and have, it was almost like we were sitting in your chapel and praying with you that we didn't have to come up with it on our own. Well, it came out of our chapel because I had read some of the, the first reports that were coming out and I was so horrified and, and disgusted. And, and my thought was, oh, Jesus, you, you repaired for this. You experienced this as, uh, put upon you in the Garden of Gethsemane. You dealt with this personally. Mm-hmm. And now here it is coming out. And we're seeing what you already dealt with. And I just went to chapel and prayed the litany of the Sacred Heart. And that heart, uh, that, that he was overwhelmed with opprobrium for our sakes. You know, he was he took on the shame of the whole world. And here it was now all over the place, this mm-hmm. this filth and shame. And Jesus had allowed it to to be, you know, like thrown on him like rotten tomatoes. And he allowed himself to be covered with that shame and opprobrium for our sake. And it was like we need to make reparation. The heart needs to do it needs to express itself. Uh, you know, that that gratitude to Jesus for having having himself made the once and for all atonement for all the sins of the world. And and to accept that by offering our own tiny, tiny, tiny little offering of, of gratitude, maybe a personal penance. Uh, in, you know, spending an hour in, in a, a chapel can be a time of penance, too. There's mm-hmm. plenty of other things that are more fun to do with an hour of time. So there's an aspect of, of, of that that is penitential, that we, we can offer in union with the sufferings of Jesus, which in a sense are being revealed to us in these horrors. They're revealing to me the sufferings of Jesus because what we are seeing that the victims underwent, mm-hmm. Jesus underwent in them. You know, they were Christ undergoing that. And so this is all... The victims who who experience this, and we we see Jesus experiencing it with them, mm-hmm. you know, and and so there's a, there's the heart desires to to almost share that burden in some way. That's that's kind of the reparation idea. If you're just joining us today, we're talking with Sister Anne Flanagan. She's a daughter of Saint Paul. Well, I'm, I'm struck by this because we often think of. Uh, adoration in a certain framework, but specifically as we're looking at this idea of reparation and we're looking at, at the, the shame that we are seeing laid bare to realize that this is Christ in the garden taking on this shame, this shame that we feel so oppressed by. I can only imagine Christ experiencing not only this shame, but every other shame that has occurred. And that question that he gave to the apostles, now all of a sudden, if we put it in that framework, it rings in our ears too. Could could you not stay awake with me for one hour? Yeah, just one hour, you know. And, and this wow. idea that somehow it's not just that Christ, we meet Christ in the garden and he consoles us, but somehow as we come and we meet Christ in the garden of our adoration chapel, we somehow in some mystical way can bring consolation to him in his hour. Yeah, I think it was, now I'm, I'm just going on a, an old memory here, but I think it was Pope Pius XII, and it might have been the encyclical Mystici Corpus on the mystical body. It was one of those old encyclicals, and it was on, in, in his passion, Christ knew 
personally, every one of us whom he was suffering for, we were personally present to him. And, and you know, to think of that, that in our sins we were personally present to him, but also in our desire to correspond to grace, in our desire to return some love for the love he shows us, you know, that was present to him as well, you know, in, in, in the garden. It was, I think it was Pius XII who, who, who made that, that beautiful uh, expression. Now, you were talking in, we're in, known. in the break um, about how we, we often have lost a sense of what it means to make reparation. What, what do you think is the cause of that? Well, I'm, you know, I sometimes I say now at, at my age, I'm a walking history book in certain aspects of Catholic life. And it seems to me that, you know, in around this, the, the mid 60s or so, the uh, the idea of the prayer of of a prayer of reparation to to Jesus, along with devotion to the Sacred Heart, uh, it 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 fell out of style. Now, one aspect I think was the theologians didn't know where to put it, because for them, reparation and atonement are all aspects of salvation, and there's only one atoner. You know, there's only one once and for all sacrifice for sin, and it's Jesus. And, you know, so we're, we can't say that we can make reparation for sins, you know, but it's like, all right, all right, don't be such a theologian right now. Be a poet, have a heart. <laughs> because this kind of prayer of reparation is a matter of a relationship. This is not a matter of, you know, a, a, of a theological dictum. This is a matter of let, let's let's say uh, an accommodated use of the word to describe a relationship. It is a relationship we have with Jesus in which we are so appreciative of the suffering he endured for us that we want to, in a way, share it as if we could relieve the burden in some sense, or at least console his heart by by our willingness to be there. Now, I have a little story from when I was getting ready for kindergarten. And I heard this story from my mother because I don't have many memories of when I I was four years old because my birthday's at the end of October. So I was getting ready to go for kindergarten, but I was four and I had to get all my shots. And mom took me downtown because at the time that's where all the doctors were. I grew up in New Orleans. All the doctors were on Canal Street. So it was a big day, went downtown with mom. We had lunch at one of the downtown uh, restaurants, but within a few hours, I got a fever. Uh, I was flushed. I, she had to rush me to her, her mom's house in uptown New Orleans, it carried me into the house and put me on the bed in the back room. And my godmother, my mom's oldest sister, came into the room and, and huddled by my little little, you know, limp form and said, I don't know what you have, but whatever it is, I want it too. Hmm. To me, that's, that's an image of, of our Lord looking at us in our sin. But it's also in a, in a, in a accommodated way, it's us looking at our Lord in his suffering and saying, I don't know what it was like for you. But to, to whatever extent is possible, I want to relieve some of it. I want to to be there with you, 
to share this burden that you took on for me right out of out of gratitude out of appreciation out of immense odd love mm-hmm. that's reparation and it's something that blessed alberioni gave to the daughters of saint paul as an as an important part of our spirituality our spirit of reparation has a particular angle to it and that is we make reparation specifically for the sins that are committed because of the influence or the use of the media of communication. Hmm. We have one of our prayers and the, the first intention that we offer for in our Holy Communion is in reparation for error and scandal spread through the world through the misuse of the media of social communication. Wow. That's not the, the top of the line. He has another prayer that he wrote, which is also very, very timely. This was a prayer that he wrote for another congregation. Now, Alberione founded four congregations of sisters. Hmm. And the fourth congregation are the Sisters of Mary, Queen of Apostles for Vocations. They make reparation for vocations that are neglected, hindered, or not corresponded to. And I think we've got that as well right now. We're talking today with Sister Anne Flanagan. She's a daughter of St. Paul. Go to pauline.org. Follow her on Twitter at nonblogger. Join me over on social media. Ours is facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I'd love to have you as part of the conversation. And there's much more to this conversation right after this as we dive deeper into maybe some practical steps about how to make a holy hour. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Today we're talking with daughter of St. Paul, Sister Anne Flanagan. Uh, She works in the digital department, social media. You can follow her on Twitter, at nunblogger. Sister, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. So we've been talking about um, this holy hour that you produced with with lightning speed, and I think it was just such a gift to to the church to be able to pray this this guided holy hour in reparation for the sins of scandal that we've seen recently. And for specifically when we were just so overwhelmed by everything that was going on, it was very helpful. Uh, in fact, my um, my parish this week, we, we called for a f- our first Friday adoration to be in reparation for the scandal. And we've printed out these these booklets and put them on the pews so that people who come in can have that guide and right. that, that that help in praying their holy hour before the blessed sacrament. Um, but this is not the only time we pray before the blessed sacrament. In fact, it's it's something that all of the daughters of Saint Paul do every day. Um, right. And 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 I heard that an hour got to be too much, and so your founder made it an hour and a half. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so. So here, for those of us who we hear, oh my goodness, an hour in prayer at a time, uh, I, w- I would go stir crazy. My mind would explode. How, how do you even begin to, to focus in prayer for a whole hour? What, what would you say to someone starting out with the ideas of making a holy hour? Well, the first thing I, w- I would suppose if someone's intimidated by the idea of making a holy hour is, is take a, 
a line from the 12 step people, you know, they did one day at a time. It's like, well, you know, don't do the whole hour. Don't think of the whole hour at a time. Think of it in little, yeah, 15 or 20 minutes at a time, because that's what Alberioni, our founder actually did. He, he gave us a method. He gave us a structure for the hour of adoration for the daughters of St. Paul. And he modeled it around Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And he said, this is a handy way for anybody to make an hour of adoration. You just remember, you're going to Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you, what are you? You're going to Jesus with your mind, your will, and your heart. So it's like your whole self, all your interior capacities, are go you're going to Jesus to meet the whole Jesus. Hmm. And is it that Jesus has kind of a, a gift for every level of your being, for it, for your intellect, for your your will, your choices, for your priorities, for your your heart, your feelings, for your concerns, your worries, for your sins? You know, he has he his being as way, truth, and life has a healing grace for your whole self for all your relationships, you know. So he took that as, a, as the, the model for how to make a holy hour. So the first thing you do is as you're, as you're entering the chapel, I'm a disciple. I'm going to meet my master, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So you, you go in there and you're, you're going there with the heart of a disciple. What does the disciple say? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Yeah. So give me a listening heart, oh Lord, give me a listening heart. Open my heart to listen. So that for those first moments are, are an encounter where we come before the Lord and we acknowledge who he is, who we are, what we hope from him. You know, we have special intentions, we have worries. You know, I didn't think I was gonna make it today, I made it. <laughs> You know, um, but here are the things that almost kept me from coming. And here are the things that are distracting me. Actually, Alberioni told us, you know, for our daughter, St. Paul, we find ourselves distracted because we have questions and uh, wondering about, well, what books should we put on display in the bookstore? And what should we do about this particular topic? Or what should we, how should we respond to the current crisis? He said, those are not distractions. Those are the exact things you bring to Jesus to to receive his light on. So you bring those those worries, concerns, questions, things that, you know, those aren't distractions. Those are real life. You bring them all to Jesus. I, what, what I find interesting about that idea is often when we think of an answer to prayer, we think of some event happening. I've got this great uh, crisis in my life. Lord, I need uh, rescue from that. I need intervention. And, and so we think about um, an answer to prayer being some large, uh, unmissable detail. <laughs> but, but the things you're talking about bringing before Christ are things that need uh, an answer that isn't an event, but it's an answer that has to be heard. Uh, it, things happen. I mean, I don't know. Big events are small. Sometimes mm -hmm. um there's some stuff I'm working on right now. And, and I was like, Jesus, I, you know, I'm going in there. I was like, Jesus, I really need, you know, I, I just finished an article. I, I haven't sent it in yet. It had to be 1500 words. 
like, I need 1500 words, Jesus. I don't know where I'm going to get them. Well, this morning I, I did a workout. I had 1800. Then I had to go start cutting. I was like, this is a good problem. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. You gave me more than I needed. Then I had to cut words that I really liked. But that's a, that's a different problem. But, but even like what books do I put out? That's something that, that you have to sit in silence a little bit and to spend some time in discernment. And I think that we're uncomfortable with that silence. And yet it's required for us to ever be able to discern an answer to something like that. And you, and you may not really get a, a clear answer. You just have to go out there and do your best. And say, Jesus, this is this is my best. If you know, if you have something better, then send somebody along to move the books. You know, <laughs> yeah. and and keep me patient because you know this is my best my, my best uh, shot. But so you have this introductory kind of colloquy, setting the stage with Jesus, and and maybe he'll bring things to mind too, mm-hmm. or bring a person to mind that he's like, yeah, well, you know. You're talking about this, but that relationship over there, uh, that's the one I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, he's, he's the master. He gets, he gets to set the agenda. We're talking with Sister Anne Flanagan about adoration. So we come into adoration acknowledging we're disciples and we say we bring him our worries. Uh, now, where do we go from there? All right. Alberione. Even though he said Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, he always started things off with Jesus as the truth. Mm-hmm. Because Alberiani is very, uh, you could say, an intellectual type of a person. And he saw the mind as, as pivotal. And, uh, and so he said everything starts with the mind. There's no sancti- sanctity without truth, or at least love of the truth. Mm-hmm. And so he said, so Jesus' master as the truth enlightens our mind. Well, how does Jesus do that? Through the gospel. And so we we will we open our hearts, we say a prayer to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, say, God, I want to receive the gift of the gospel as as it came from the lips of Jesus. I want to receive the word of God in the Bible exactly as it came through Jesus the Word incarnate. And take Take 10 minutes and read the scriptures. And if, if something catches your attention, stay with it and, and, and let, it, let it dwell in you. And because sometimes the word, just one word or one phrase will be so evocative for you. Maybe it will trigger a, a memory. Maybe it'll trigger another scripture passage. I, I'm, a, I'm a big one for, even if you can't make it to daily mass, read the daily mass readings Mm -hmm. because you will become so familiar with the bible that when you read other passages then your your mind will start cross-referencing the whole bible and the psalms the gospels you will know the bible way better than you dream possible right from from being familiar with the mass readings so the first first say 15 20 minutes of the hour of adoration is an encounter with the Word of God, with Jesus, who is truth, who is light for the mind, and you let that light shine on your life, mm-hmm. and see, you know, what light does it shed for you, and begin, begin, the process of letting that light be, you know, show you the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So the the truth shows you the way. How are you walking? On Jesus's way of truth how how does your life 
conform to what Jesus is showing you in the word that you're reading in the scriptures. So we begin then the process of an examination of conscience, hmm. a reflection on that kind of comparing my life with the life Jesus presents to me as right. his will. Right. So that's another whole 15, 20 minutes mm-hmm. of looking at my life, not just saying, where did I go wrong? Because that's not an examination of consciousness. That's not, you know, really looking at our life in the light of God's truth. Because that's God's truth is way bigger than where did we go wrong. God's truth is, what is the grace of God for me in my situation? Uh-huh. How much am I receiving it? Am I letting it guide me? Mm-hmm. Am I closing myself off? Have I opened the door to it? Sometimes we look at our, our life and we say, yes, I have opened my life to a new grace from God. And it, it's taking me in a direction I didn't expect. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so then that moves us to Thanksgiving. It moves us maybe to a, a prayer of wonder. Like I, I never realized that like sometimes this is what I found in my life. When the Holy Spirit is calling you to a a new conversion, he doesn't do it by being harsh. Mm -hmm. He does it by shining a light and saying, look how wonderful it would be if you would accept this. As scripture says, it's it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so this is a this is where our life becomes a dialogue with the truth of Jesus. And we sort of open up a new piece of our life for Jesus to to transform. You know, a great section of St. Paul to the Romans, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, but don't let it stay in your mind. It's got to go into your life. Right. So in this in this last minute that we have, talk a little bit about the My Sisters site and, and what resources people can find there to help them in their spiritual life. Oh, well, My Sisters is a new Service of the Daughters of St. Paul, and it's a group of the sisters offering spiritual accompaniment. On uh, It's a, an online community. Mm-hmm. And so every week we send the members of my, it's a membership, so we send the members the weekly spiritual guidelines. Uh, there's twice a week an, a, in real time, the sisters go online, whoever is, it's their turn for the week to be the guides for that week, go online and give some, uh, like a spiritual conference Mm -hmm. and people can be typing in their questions or comments and the sister will respond, uh, to them. That's Mondays. And then Thursday is the midweek check-in and people can say, you know, if, if they found the prayer guide helpful or if they, if there were some questions, um, we just started this in February. It's, it seems to be going pretty well. We have retreats then that people can do online. It's a, a number of, of new features, but it's up. To find out more information, go to mysisters.blog. It's not a .com, mysisters.blog. We've been talking today with Sister Anne Flanagan of the Daughters of St. Paul. Follow her on Twitter, at nunblogger. Follow me on Twitter, at Outside the Walls. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash step outside the walls. There's more of this conversation with Sister Ann Flanagan on Patreon. Go to outsidethewalls.com, click the Patreon link. We'll be right back right after this. 
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. And today we talked with Sister Anne Flanagan of the Daughters of St. Paul. We talked uh, about their beautiful uh, their meditation, their guided uh, prayer for an hour, a holy hour, before the Blessed Sacrament in reparation for the clergy scandal. It's a beautiful, beautiful guide to prayer. We've got it in our uh, parish chapel uh, several copies just available to anyone who needs it. And I've got a link on my social media, so you can go take a look at it as well. We talked about their, their new endeavor, my sisters, uh, this, this guided, this membership community of, uh, basically in a way, some spiritual direction with sisters. You can get to it by going to my sisters.blog. It's not a .com. It's a .blog, B-L-O-G. And uh, we have an extra segment talking about a, a beautiful guide that they have for uh, for this holy hour of adoration, a guide for children and for how they can enter into this holy hour. I'm very excited about it. I'm going to pick up a copy for my own children. It's something that I think uh, it will benefit them greatly. Uh, and this week, because of uh, of I want you to hear about that, we're going to make that extra segment, which is normally just for our Patreon supporters. We're going to make that available to everyone. So go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and right there at the top of that page, you're going to see the extra segment from this week with Sister Anne Flanagan. Uh, if you if you like it and you think that that extra segment is worth having, you can get every week's extra segment for as little as $5 a month, just supporting the show and helping ensure that we stay on the air so that we can continue to bring you these excellent interviews. Now let's turn our attention to scripture, our reading from scripture as always, and from church history. Our reading from scripture comes from the book of Isaiah today. Thus says the Lord, say to those whose hearts are frightened, be strong fear not. Here is your God. He comes with vindication, with divine recompense. He comes to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf be cleared. Then the lame will leap like a stag. Then the tongue of the mute will sing. Streams will burst forth in the desert and rivers in the steppe. The burning sands will become pools, and the thirsty ground springs of water. That reading comes from the book of Isaiah, and how apropos it is for us as we spiritually feel that desert. We spiritually feel lame and deaf and and unable to to proclaim anything. I've seen so many uh, memes of priests who who put this up just as a reminder. I didn't want to put on my collar today, they say. Uh, in a way, that is the tongue of the mute because of of the shame of the the scandal that's around them. It's It has a chilling, silencing effect. And yet, the power of God, the power of God as he comes to save us, strengthens our spirits and our bodies and empowers us, the eyes of the blind will be opened. So, if you feel powerless, this is the time. Go to adoration. Call on the name of the Lord. 
Be strong and fear not, because here is your God, right there in the tabernacle, right there in the monstrance, waiting for you. And he comes with vindication, with divine recompense. He comes to save you. What a, uh, an encouraging, what a, a life-giving verse that is. Our reading from church history today comes from a sermon on the Beatitudes by St. Leo the Great. The Lord goes on to say then, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. This hunger is not for any bodily food. This thirst is not for any earthly drink. It is a longing to be blessed with righteousness, and by penetrating the secret of all mysteries, to be filled with the Lord himself. Happy is the soul that longs for the food of righteousness and thirsts for this kind of drink. It would not seek such things if it had not already savored their delight. When the soul hears the voice of the Spirit saying to it through the prophet, Taste and see that the Lord is good. It has already received a portion of God's goodness and is on fire with love, the love that gives joy of the utmost purity. It counts as nothing all that belongs to time. It is entirely consumed with delight to eat and drink the food of righteousness. The soul lays hold of the true meaning of the first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your whole mind and your whole strength. For to love God is nothing else than to love righteousness. Finally, just as concern for one's neighbor is added to the love of God, so the virtue of mercy is added to the desire for righteousness. As it is said, Blessed are the merciful, for God will be merciful to them. Remember, Christian, the surpassing worth of the wisdom that is yours. Bear in mind the kind of school which you are to learn your skills, the reward to which you are called. Mercy itself wishes you to be merciful. Righteousness itself wishes you to be righteous so that the Creator may shine forth in His creature and the image of God be reflected in the mirror of the human heart as it imitates His qualities. The faith of those who live their faith is a serene faith. What you long for will be given you. What you love will be yours forever. Since it is by giving alms that everything is pure for you, you will also receive that blessing which is promised next by the Lord. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Dear friends, great is the happiness of those for whom such a reward is prepared. Who were the clean of heart if not those who strive for those virtues we have mentioned above? What mind can conceive, what words can express the great happiness of seeing God? Yet human nature will achieve this when it has been transformed so that it sees the Godhead no longer in a mirror or obscurely, but face to face. The Godhead that no man has been able to see in the inexpressible joy of this eternal vision, human nature will possess what eye has not seen or ear heard and what man's heart has never conceived. 
That reading comes from A Sermon on the Beatitudes by St. Leo the Great. And what a challenge that is. What a beautiful picture it is and a reminder of where our eyes ought to be. It's so easy right now with so much noise and cacophony going around uh, to, to allow our confidence to be shaken and to allow our eyes to be wrenched off of our own faith life and onto the lack of faith in others, uh, in those who were supposed to be our, our guides and our shepherds. And yet we still have the call to, according to Scripture, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. When we look to Christ, and when we look specifically uh, for Him to be actively involved in our life and in our faith journey, then we can't be shaken. Yes, we can experience hardship. Yes, we can experience uh, difficulty, and yet Christ walks with us, like Peter walking on the water as he fixed his eyes on Christ and going out to meet him in the midst of the waves, he stood strong until such time as he got distracted and fearful of the winds and the waves around. We shouldn't ignore the winds and the waves. We shouldn't shy away from, uh, we're not blissfully walking around going, oh, it's there's no storm. And yet we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, knowing that Ultimately, he is the Lord of the storm. He's the one who will bring about the, the calm, which can only come about by correcting the issue, right? The, God is not a God who glosses things over. If you haven't learned anything else from Scripture, that's it. Mercy that he gives is not a glossing over. It is a healing and a correcting of what is wrong in, in our hearts. And so just as we... Uh, we have received mercy and have been transformed by his mercy. We are praying that his mercy, even in this situation, will transform the whole church, will transform us all so that we can live out this call to holiness. So not just so we can look at ourselves in the mirror, pat ourselves on the back and say, look how holy we are. Isn't that great? Quite the contrary. We pursue holiness empowered by Christ because in that pursuit of holiness, we shall see God. We shall experience the healing of God. Through that pursuit of holiness, we change our own lives and we also change the world around us. We receive God's grace and we become conduits of God's grace to the world around us, to the cosmos, as it awaits the redemption at the end of the age. Be strong, fear not. Here is your God. He comes with vindication, with divine recompense. He comes to save you and me. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Ryan and Sarah Jepson and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link and for $5 a month, get access to all the extra segments. Share this week's episode on social media. Spread the word. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.